Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. I love big walks, especially ones in the Alps. And there is one trail, or rather a series of trails, I've wanted to learn more about. This is the famous Via Alpina, which has different routes that cross the Alps. And here to tell us about the Via Alpina is Brad Bowers, who walked the Via Alpina in 2022. Hi, Brad. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. So first off, can you describe what the Via Alpina is uh, for people that haven't heard of it? Well, the Via Alpina is a series of trails that span across the Alps in Europe. There's the red trail, blue, green, yellow, and purple trails. The red one is the longest one. It spans all the way from Monaco through the entirety of the Alps and then finishes in Trieste, Italy. All the trails are really well maintained. It's just kind of a connection that you can through hike through the Alps. I ended up choosing the yellow trail, which is about 40 segments long and 800 kilometers if you walk it as it's, as it's designated. And you mentioned that there's different trails. And do you know, like, do you know the background of how they got different trails? Uh, like, are they different? Like, do they go through different countries? Uh, like, I know the routes are quite different, but like, do you know, in your research to do this, did you, did you find out how come they have so many? I didn't. Actually, there's not too much information about the trails online. There's a website, via-alpina.org, where pretty much all the information that I was able to learn about was on that website. And it's there's really not much information there. Yeah, and that's what I found. Like, you know, having heard of the Via Alpina and seeing like some maps on, you know, social media or whatever, um, you want to dig in and like find more, but it's just, although they're these epic trails, there's not a ton of, uh, of information. I was always interested. I think it's the red one. That's like 120 different stages. So like, it's really easy you have to take two years, years just, just to do it. Um, but you did the yellow one and why did you choose the yellow one? Because there's some other ones that are shorter that you can do in, in one season. I've always wanted to do a trek just across Northern Italy. I didn't really know anything other than that. I think I just started Googling treks across Italy or something and eventually found Via Alpina. The Yellow Trail is 40 segments, and I was just finishing up a bachelor's degree in Czech Republic. I lived in Prague for about three years. And so I only had, I just finished up, I had about 50 days or something left on my visa. And I figured I should do this trek, kind of like a transition as I move into the next phase of my life. I did something similar right um, right before I moved to Prague, where I uh, hiked all of the 14ers in Colorado. I love that kind of, you know, you bookended this, you know, huge investment in your education. Start with the 14ers, end with this incredible uh, through hike. Can you maybe describe where the trail goes through? Because uh, I was digging in. I found the website that you're talking about. I was digging into the different trails. Uh, you have these great videos. I was watching your videos. Um, but not everyone has a couple hours to dig into this. Where does the VL Pena start? Where does it kind of go through? And then where does it end? 
So the I'll speak about the Yellow Trail. It starts in Trieste, Italy and ends in Oberstdorf, Germany. And it kind of just follows, it initially just goes north and follows the border between Italy and Slovenia. And then it kind of cuts to the west once it hits the Dolomite region. You kind of walk through the whole of the Dolomites and then switches to the Alps. So the whole kind of landscape changes once you get close to Austria. And then it just crosses the border into Austria. You go through the Austrian Alps and Oberstdorf is right at the other side of the border and into Germany. And so looking at your videos, you know, I was really interested in the very first part from Trieste. It looks like you go through Slovenia and I expected the trail to be really mountainous, but it's kind of the opposite. You have these incredible views of the sea and it's more hilly. Did, was that what you were expecting? Is like, it seemed like it's a really good entry point. You're not just day one climbing up, you know, 3,000, 4,000 feet of elevation to get to a pass. It seemed like it was a nice way to ease into the trail. Uh, I know it was hot, but like, is my kind of view is that is a good way to start, like to kind of get your hiking legs under you? Yeah, I, I think, and that, that kind of, uh, it's the same mentality when I was looking at it or planning for it, how it, it starts off with small elevation gains and then gradually builds up to more difficult treks through the, through the mountains. So it gives you some time to get your legs into shape. Now you went through two parts of uh, the Alps or, you know, the, the mountain, the Dolomites uh, that I love. First, you go to the Dolomites and you cross into uh, Austria and you go up the Otzel Valley. Uh, I've never hiked in the Otzel Valley, but it looks incredible. I'm interested. What was your favorite part in the Dolomites? And then in Austria, you know, I've seen photos of the Otzel Valley. I've driven through it. I've liked that in low level walks. But is the Otzel Valley as beautiful as, you know, people people say? I, I would think so. Pretty much every day of the trek was just surrounded with incredible beauty. Uh, it started off in you know the Italian wine country. Uh, it just had just incredible wine uh, wine vineyard, vineyards and the hills, like you said. Along with that was just uh, probably the most affordable and delicious wine I've ever had. <laughs> I think the tr the trek started out just so cheap, and everything in that part of Italy and in Slovenia is really cheap. I think it's fifty cents for a glass of wine, and the best wine. And then as the, the trek continued into the Dolomites and further on into Austria, it just got more and more expensive. I think in the end, in Austria, it's like six euros for a glass of wine, and it's not nowhere near as good. But uh, back to your question about the the Otzel Valley, I think that's the highest point you cross going. It's kind of like a ski resort in Austria. Yeah, it, it looks like it goes near Solden, and then it kind of goes up. And actually, I drove that once, and at the end of the valley, there's like, it's an incredible drive, but it goes up to like. 2,800 meters or 20, I don't know, it goes super, super high to get out of that valley. And when I looked at the map, it looked like it went right up near there. And I know just the drive, I'm like, this is incredible. Like if I didn't have three kids who were all in car seats, I would have stopped the car and gone hiking. But uh, on that trip, uh, that wasn't wasn't an option. Yeah, uh, it's, it's really incredible because uh, there's glaciers and stuff receded a lot recently, but uh, they're still there. 
really beautiful. Now, I know in Europe, a lot of people are always, you know, wondering, you know, what's the trail like? There's a lot of, you know, long distance routes where you end up walking along the road a lot, watching your videos. You had a bit of that, but, you know, what didn't make it into your videos about, like, the types of trails you're on? Is it mostly, like, mountain paths or is there actually a lot of road walking? A decent amount of road walking or sometimes it would just be bicycle paths. Um, but a lot of that was my personal choice sometimes just for the sake of time again my visa was running out so I had to kind of cut it short so sometimes I would walk along the road and just stay down in the valley rather than the, the designated trail would go up and over a mountain or something on a trail and I would just take the, the roadway around some of the pathing for the segments was a little weird where it would kind of take you in an illogical way through the like it wasn't a direct path from one point to another it would kind of go up and go around this mountain and swerve around a bit just to end you up five kilometers in front of where you started and so times like that i would usually just walk the straight line it makes sense if you're in a rush and how many days did it take you to walk it i think you said there was 40 stages total uh, with your, you know, and I know like your videos, you were work, walking after dinner sometimes, and it seemed like you were doing more than uh, one stage a day. Took me 35 days total. Uh, that includes rest days I had. Uh, sometimes, you know, you're just so beaten up, you just need to, just to sleep for a full day. But yeah, at the beginning, I was just doing about one segment a day, and the segments down by Trieste are pretty lengthy. And they pretty much take all day to do anyway. But by the end, you know, my trail legs had come back. And so I was in, I was in good shape and I was able to do two or even three segments in a day sometime. That's incredible. Um, now, you know, there's not a lot of information on the Via Alpina. How did you plan for the route? Like there's a lot, seems like there's a lot of unknowns in doing this. You know, was there any, any tips you want to share or, or what was your process? Oh yeah, well I wanted to just go as light as possible, so I packed super light, I tried to just do minimalist hiking, just bringing enough to get me through each day. I got a couple ultralight pieces of gear, like a super light sleeping bag, it's about 40 degree Fahrenheit, 8 degrees Celsius bag. So basically my, my planning, I just know, I just knew I needed a good sleep system, I needed to make sure I had enough food and water. I guess that's about it. So a lot of my packing was planning around my sleep system because I didn't want to stay in the refugios. They're actually pretty expensive. Like they can be 30 to 50 euros a night there, depending on where you're at. And uh, I'm not a rich man. so And I, I find it maybe a bit more adventurous to to pursue the route in this manner of just trying to support myself, not stay at the refugios, just sleep wherever I can. And I think I packed pretty much for success in that regard. My sleeping system consisted of the sleeping bag. I had, I got an emergency blanket, you know, one of the ones made out of kind of like an aluminum material. I used that as a ground sheet, which not only kept the bottom part of me dry, but also it reflects the heat. Uh, back up to me and reflects the coldness of the ground. And then I had a poncho I used as a rain cover. 
I, I ended up, I also had a bivy sack, which did not do very well. <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't seem super waterproof on the videos. Like, uh, <laughs> it seemed like it left a bit to be desired. No, I would give that a one star review. Uh, and, and I think you're selling, like, the one thing that struck me is how small your bag was. Like, I've seen through hikers and they have, like, small bags. Yours didn't even seem like a day pack. Like, it seems super small. Do you know, like, how big, like, how many liters was your backpack? And then what was your base weight? My backpack was 32 liters. And I basically used every single liter of it. Uh, so I was able to condense a lot of stuff into a small bag. I wanted to keep my bag small because I didn't want to bring too much stuff. And if you, I feel like if you start to, if you allow yourself more space, you're going to start carrying more stuff. So I really kept things to a minimum. The bait, I never actually weighed my bag, so I didn't know uh, how much it would be, but it was pretty heavy if I had just filled up on food and filled up on water. And so you didn't have a cooker or anything to make hot meals in your bag. Is that correct? That's correct. I'd pretty much just, I would eat at the restaurants in refugios along the way, because usually they would sell sandwiches, or in Italy, most places had like, there'd be a pizza place nearby somewhere, which is by far the most affordable option there. In Italy, the pizzas were like five euros each, like a full-sized pizza, it was a great deal, and everything else was like 20 euros, just for a smaller meal, so... I ate a lot of pizza there. And then am I correct that you didn't have a sleeping mat or did you have a sleeping mat and I missed it? I did have a sleeping mat. Actually, I bought a, a child-sized one. I, I wanted to get one that just covered my torso area because actually it doesn't really insulate much for your legs anyway. So I figured it was just a waste of space. So I ended up getting a child-sized one and that worked just fine. You know, I've always wondered that it's like, I always just put my backpack, like if you're in a tent, like to find a place to put your backpack. So I put my backpack under my feet and I'm like, I don't need the sleeping mat kind of below my like thighs, but they don't make them. They just make these ultra long ones now. Uh, uh, I think there's a market for these half height, you know, sleeping mats coming back. They used to be in, in vogue like 15 years ago, but the new ones, like the knee, the thermarest, they're so light. I think they just do them long anyway. Yeah. And and so what was an average day for you like in terms of it looked like you were doing a lot of a lot of walking. And then I'm also really interested, like sleeping, you know, basically sleeping out in the woods or out in mountains. How did you find the place to sleep? Well, that was uh, one of the unique challenges with each day was finding where I was going to sleep. It's not something I could really plan for. And it's not necessarily legal to to be camping uh, in some of these areas, though I think it's mostly frowned upon to use like tents and stuff. Uh, I don't really know how much they care about just a person sleeping next to some rocks. It's hard for them to enforce that, I think. But yeah, I slept. I slept in soccer fields. I slept in basketball courts. I slept in people's garages, patios in the middle of the forest, on the top of mountains. And once I slept in the hotel service quarters <laughs> some owner of a of a hotel overheard me asking if there was a good place to sleep around because i was planning on just going to some bus stop that night because i heard it was going to rain and just sleep in the bus stop the owner overheard me and he was like hey uh, you can 
I'm the owner here and you can sleep down in the service quarters with these with the people who work here. <laughs> I said of course I said sure. And uh there was a bunch of Romanians there and they didn't really speak any English. I think one of them spoke a little French and so we were able to communicate a little bit that way. And they gave me some like the Eastern European moonshine called Slivovice. It's like a plum, plum, <laughs> yeah, plum, uh, plum brandy. Yeah. It's like 75% alcohol or something, like 150 proof, really rough stuff. But that helped me get to a good night's sleep. Just, just to talk a little bit more. So I know some people, they really try and sleep high. So they want to sleep up on the mountain, find a place that's secluded, you know, walk and tell, you know, find, start looking after dinner, find a place, you know, seven or eight, bunk down, wake up at dawn, walk down, get into a village. And they kind of, you know, most of the time you're going, your day is village, pass village. They're kind of going, you know, up high, down low for lunch and then back up high. Did you did you have a strategy or you you just were walking? You said, oh, I'm in a village now or I'm down low in the valley. I got to find a place or... Were you purposely wanting to stay in, in, you know, down low in villages? No, it, it pretty much just depended where each day. Sometimes I did sleep up high in the mountains, but usually I would have to walk maybe a few kilometers outside of the village and, uh, and sleep in the woods there. Um, but a lot of the segments end at refugios up on the mountains and in in Italy, I was. They would just let me sleep uh, just outside. I wouldn't have to pay for a room or anything. I just ask, "Can I sleep on your patio?" And they'd be sure. In Austria, they were a bit more uh, stringent and didn't really <laughs> allow me to do that. So I'd have to go find my own spots. Uh, there's something about the different cultures, kind of the Germanic cultures that are rule followers, and the Italians that are just like, "Oh, whatever, <laughs> live your life." Uh, you just experienced it uh, in real real time. One night, the forecast called for rain, and I was in this village. There wasn't really any place good to find a camping spot. Everything was pretty exposed. And I just went to this restaurant and asked the lady, I was like, do you know a place I can stay here? And she went and asked her husband. They were like, yeah, you can sleep in our garage. That's nice. And so I got to sleep on a couch in, in their garage. They were very accommodating very hospitable it's really nice if you had a better bivy like you know do you think you so you know if you'd gotten a really good bivy that's totally waterproof do you think you could have you know you could have made that work um or do you think like it's just better just like you know bring a tarp or plan to find a place indoors because the bivy is just too restrictive I, yeah I, I wish my bivy was more waterproof or maybe i would have been better to bring like a solo tent like, uh, I think they have some now, but they're pretty expensive, like a super lightweight solo tents that would keep the rain off you much better. And then that would just give you more freedom. You would, because I was worried the first time I tried the baby sack, I got rained on really hard and it just soaked right through. And it was a pretty miserable night of just trying to sleep <laughs> in a puddle of water. So you've just shared the worst part of your walk. Uh, or one of the worst parts, what's your favorite part? So reflecting back on this whole, you know, 35-day, 800-kilometer journey, what are your best memories or your favorite memories? Well, one of them was uh, 
I was actually right near the Slovenian border. I walked about three kilometers or so outside of this village and I found this really secluded place to sleep in the woods. It was still quite in the lowlands and there was just so much wildlife and uh, I was really on edge. It's it's a little bit different sleeping in just a bivy sack than having a tent. Uh, the tent kind of gives you more of this protected feeling. Which is crazy because the tent offers no protection. You can't even see what's going on, but I know the feeling. It's like, oh, I've got this tent around me. I'll be okay. Even though if you handle these tents roughly now, they rip just like just with your hands. Uh, a wild animal would have no trouble getting through a tent. So I'm a, I'm a bit on edge in these nights, on these nights that uh, I'm just exposed. And then this night I... I heard something. I thought at first I thought it was a person walking towards me. I heard the leaves crunching, and I was like, "Oop!" It woke me right up and got my adrenaline pumping. I looked out and I thought I saw a headlamp. I was like, "Oh man, is this person gonna walk up on my tent?" And then, uh, then I realized the headlamp wasn't getting any closer, and it was probably just a star behind the trees. But the noise kept getting closer, and then eventually I. I heard it walk right up pretty close to me, maybe about 10 to 15 meters away. It was pitch dark, so I didn't actually see anything, but I heard it make this snorting sound like a... <laughs> That's a bad imitation, but uh, <laughs> it's. I thought, I, I thought, of course, I have no idea what's going on. I'm like in my bivy sack, like just wondering what the hell this is. I thought it was like a horse or like a cow or something, a bull. And so I got out and I started just shaking a lot in my bivy sack, making noise and, and flashing my headlight around a bit. And then it, it ran off. And later that, I was wondering what the hell it was. And then later that day, I, the next day, I found a bunch of uh, bear scat on the, next to the trails, pretty evident. And that, it hit me that that was most likely a bear that would walk up right up next to me. Googling what sounds bears make when they snort, it was pretty much an exact match. I, I was watching that in, in your video, and I just I didn't realize there were bears like that many bears, and in Slovenia, like, uh, are there is it like super? Are there still bears? And like, or is it just super rare that one came near your your where you were sleeping? I re I read beforehand that there were no bears in that area, and even I talked to locals, and they're like, no, no bears. What are you talking about? But then. Uh, I guess they've been having a lot of increased protection for bears in Slovenia, not in Italy, but uh, Slovenia has increased protection and so the bears have been reproducing there and I guess they're starting to spill over into Italy. So this is probably even new for the locals there, they're not used to bears, but uh, the scat was there so that's undeniable and whatever I heard that night. Uh, you're from Colorado, so just like I'm up here in the Canadian Rockies, we know bear scat, so <laughs> it's not hard to mistake it when you uh, when you see it. Exactly. Now that was, uh, I don't know if that was one of my favorite memories, but it is one that's really stuck with me due to the uh, adrenaline spike you get. It puts <laughs> things in your memory much better. But uh, I really, there was one day I, I walked just through the heart of the Dolomites, and while the trail was really... You know, a lot of people were on it. I think it was Sunday. I ended up doing three segments that day, I believe. And so it was one of the, right before I got to, 
yeah, it was the last day of the Dolomites. I ended up going, it was like 23 kilometers, but almost 2,700 meters of elevation gain. Oh, wow, that's a big day. Yeah, and it was just, uh, the Dolomites are just so incredibly beautiful. Just to be surrounded by that beauty all day was fantastic. And if you've been to the Dolomites, like, you know, I don't even know where you were, but I know that feeling. It's just kind of, it's jaw-dropping. It, it's it's like the one mountain range where you're just like, holy crow. I think Glacier National Park in Montana, it kind of has the same feel of this is different from all the mountains I've seen before. I'm sure there's other places. Uh, I haven't been to them. Even like the Himalayas, you know, didn't didn't do what the Dolomites and Glacier do. There's something about those mountains. They're just, you know, they're just so spectacular. Yeah, they are. They are spectacular. One thing I really enjoy about these kinds of trips is when I do them alone, I really enjoy just surviving off of my own wits, not really knowing what to expect. I don't try to plan too much. I just kind of have the general idea. I'm going to follow this yellow trail and see what happens. Uh, I had to make up for some time and I was feeling some injuries in my foot and I ended up hitchhiking, uh, cutting through Slovenia where I got to see some really fantastic sites, different style of mountains and then the Socha River, which is a really big destination for kayakers and stuff. That's this river that runs through Slovenia and the water is just crystal clear. You can see all of the rocks and plants and stuff at the bottom of the river very beautiful this idea that you just presented of not like not knowing everything before you go uh, i i'm a sucker for like all these old exploration books going back hundreds of years and the one thing i notice is they never really know what to expect and i look at travel now and a lot of times people have you know watched the youtube videos they've seen the blog posts they've seen it on instagram and when they get there they already know what it is and we almost lack this ability to be surprised and uh, i have a kind of a friend of a friend and him and his group, they go out with just an old topo map and they go to places like here in the Canadian Rockies where there is a road and there's not even trails and they just follow game trails and they try and recreate that spirit of adventure, which is a bit what you have where, yeah, like I kind of know where the route is, but I haven't looked at every day exactly like what what's in each town, where I'm going to stay. You know, you have that kind of ability of discovery and exploration, which um, I feel like in some cases we're losing that. Uh, and it's cool to hear someone else who, like, who purposely is trying to, you know, be amazed more by not not knowing everything beforehand. Keep it open. I mean, you never know what might happen on the trail like this. You could get an injury and have to adapt, or maybe a road is closed or the trail is closed. You always have to be ready to adapt to any situations. If you plan too much, you just the plan will ultimately fail. I think. And so the Via Alpina, the yellow section you did, you know, who do you think it's best suited for? Is it something that people could do if this is their first kind of long distance hike? Or is it for somebody that's experienced in, you know, long day hikes, backpacking trips uh, already? And this is more like a moderate type through hike. I think pretty much anybody could do it. You don't have to live like a homeless person like I did. Uh, I think most people end up... <laughs> Most people end up staying in the refugios and, you know, they do the full service there. You pay 50 euros and you get dinner, you get breakfast, you get drinks. And so most people just go refugio hopping. 
uh, which would be a great way to do the trip. I'd like to maybe one day do the red trail, the really long trail, but if I were to do it, I'd probably save up a bit more money so I could I could do it a, save a weight and travel faster and just stay in the refugios. It's, some of them are really nice and luxurious. Yeah, there's something nice coming back at the end of a, a hard day and someone else makes you a warm dinner and then you sleep in a warm room like uh it's amazing when you're out doing these things how simple luxuries are just so you know, a shower is even like, you know, after you've been going for three or four days, even, you know, showered, you find a place that is a shower and it's amazing. These things we take for granted in our everyday life. When you're doing a walk, they all of a sudden they become like the best things in the world. Like nothing equals those feelings. Very true. These long treks or adventures, you know, they really make you appreciate those parts of life and they make you appreciate what little you do have to what little you need to actually live and survive with. I can live off of just having one spork and two shirts. and <laughs> I don't need much more than that. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's so well put. And it is like, I remember the first time I did a through hike, I came back and I got rid of like half my stuff. And I'm just like, why am I keeping all these books? Why do I have all this? And I was just like, you realize, you know, I was just surrounded by, by stuff I didn't need. Um, and I just went and sold like all my old CDs. I sold them. This is, you know, 25 years ago when they still had value, but I'm like, I want money to go traveling again. So I just sold all the stuff I wasn't using. And, um, even now, every time we go and do something, we come back and we're like, why do we have all this stuff? And it, it's like, when you realize how little you need, it's an impetus to kind of clear the mess out of, you know, your irregular life. And, uh, I have three kids, so I have a lot of mess, but it's just, you know, going through and, you know, trying to simplify life because, when you're on the trail, it's simple and it's really, you know, it's for me, it's like when I feel the best are on those simple days where I have one job, I got to walk to the next village or to the next place I'm going to camp and make sure I don't die. And that's a really easy and simple life. And it's super rewarding, at least for me. Yeah, I think I have the same mentality there. Um, so you just talked about the Via Red. Is there other through hikes or big, big hikes you're thinking of in your future? Uh, you seem, you know, you seem to have done some pretty amazing things already. Or do you like, do you think it now or is it just going to hit you at some point? Okay, this next summer, I got to go do something. Well, I was thinking, of course, the red one, but that may be a while down the road, considering how much I'd have to make some money first. But uh, I, we were thinking, me and my fiance, of, of doing a, like a multi-trek journey to Nepal. Uh, we I've been to Nepal two times already. I did the Annapurna circuit there, and then me and my fiance we did the Makalu base camp trek in eastern Nepal. But we were thinking about, you know, really training up, maybe doing a marathon or two in preparation, and then doing like three or four different treks back to back in Nepal. Probably more cultural type treks. Uh, the first trek would go slow, you know, to acclimatize. But then once you're acclimatized, you can start to really move. Uh, that sounds super cool. I remember years ago reading a uh, like an outside article about the Trans Himalayan and someone who was like some some lady was like trying to hike it in I don't know record record time, and it was like totally different from what we see as like Westerners on these regular treks because it was like there was no tourists. It was going through traditional villages, and it seemed like just such a cool experience. Um, and to, you know, kind of what you're doing, once you're acclimatized, you can go and see things, you can move quickly. 
Uh, and if you have more time, you can go to different places that, you know, kind of gets off where, you know, all everyone else kind of goes and it's, you know, a little bit less authentic. Uh, I think that's a great idea. I've never heard anyone talk about doing like multiple treks all at once. Um, but that's something I'm going to start thinking about because I think that's a really cool idea. Yeah, Nepal is really, most people who go there end up just doing like the Everest base camp trek, which is probably like, you know, it's completely catered to tourists and it's overcrowded and but there's so many spots in Nepal that just nobody really goes to and you can really get a good sense of their culture. And it's really a special place. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Brad, thanks for coming on the show today. It's been really cool to hear about the Via Alpina. Uh, actually, uh, I actually sent the, the picture of the map. I found the map and like I sent it to my wife and said, okay, I don't know when we're doing this, but we're going to choose one of these and do it. Uh, it's been great to hear just about your experience. So uh, I know you're up early to come on the show. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. No problem. It's been my pleasure. Now, you've got these great videos. Do you want to share uh, how people can find you on social media to watch the videos or you know anything else you've got going on? Well, sure. I have a YouTube channel where I, I post the videos. Uh, I posted all the Via Alpina Yellow Trail, and then I just post some other if I go climbing or something, or some climbing in Czech Republic, and my 14er videos as well. It's all on uh, Lamato Climbing on YouTube. I also have an Instagram by the same name, Lamato Climbing. Now, if you Google Lamato Climbing, you're going to find it, but I'll also put links to both those in the show notes if you want to save yourself uh, a couple clicks. Uh, and it, again, it's really cool to watch the videos. They're really well done, kind of two to four stages in each video. Uh, and so it gives a really good idea of what, you know, what the VLP in yellow is. Um, and with that, with that, thank you for listening to this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear about more epic adventures. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures.